2013, World Kidney Day is focused on acute kidney injury. ASN has joined the effort to raise awareness of AKI and stimulate discussion, education, and policy development, leading to improved prevention and treatment of this major public health issue. In this episode of the ASN Kidney News Podcast, ASN President and AKI expert Bruce Molitoris, MD, discusses AKI with ASN Counselor Mark Okusa, MD, and Mark Andrews of Thrasos. Dr. Okusa is the former chair of the ASN Acute Kidney Injury Advisory Group and a member of the Acute Kidney Injury Network. Mr. Andrews is CEO of Thrasos, a private, clinical-stage biotherapeutics company focused on acute kidney injury. Thank you very much, and this is Bruce Molitoris, Professor of Medicine at Indiana University and President of the American Society of Nephrology, and today we have two experts and interested individuals in acute kidney injury, which is the World Kidney Day theme for this year. And if I can get those two individuals to introduce themselves and just give a little bit of background about their interest in acute kidney injury. So, Mark, why don't you start out? Thank you, Bruce. My name is Mark Okusa. I'm the uh, Chief of Nephrology at the University of Virginia and Counselor for the American Society of Nephrology. My area of interest is in both clinical acute kidney injury as well as basic translational science of acute kidney injury. And Rick? Thank you, Bruce. I'm Rick Andrews. I am the CEO of a small development company up in Montreal, Grassos Therapeutics, and we're developing a new series of compounds to treat acute kidney injury. So let me start the question off with you, Rick. You're a very talented CEO and you could have gone many directions. What in particular interests you about AKI and developing a therapy for it? And that's a really interesting question because it goes back to understanding. You know, my experience in the 80s was very much in chronic kidney disease. And it was at that time I learned how many patients with acute were progressing. It also became very clear that acute was the one area that I felt I might be able to do something about often because of the ability to do something in a, in a more timely manner. And so it became a, a mission and a passion. A touch on this acute kidney injury, chronic kidney injury kind of interaction. Mark, would you say that's one of the most interesting and exciting areas that's come about in the last few years? Uh, yes, Bruce. I think that one of the interesting aspects that probably over the last 10 years that's evolved is the understanding that there is a relationship between acute kidney injury and chronic kidney disease. This is probably an area that has been uh, not well appreciated by others, and we think that once the kidney function improves um, after a bout of acute kidney injury, then we're all pretty much happy because the creatinine has come back down to near normal or normal. But what we're finding is that there is a progressive loss of kidney function over time. And I think this is an area that uh, is very important because it has a lot of practical aspects to this in terms of follow-up care as well as potential interventions to uh, minimize our progression. Yeah, I would comment that this is an area where I think the epidemiology and epidemiologic studies took the lead in pointing out a potential interaction that is now being followed up on aggressively with prospective studies, and it's to their credit that this was really identified and brought home. Mark, if I were to characterize you, call you an immunobiologist and you study the immunology of acute kidney injury, do you think there's a relationship between what goes on acutely and then this chronic type interaction uh, between AKI and CKD? 
Yes. One of the things that we've learned from classical immunology and from immunology focused in other disciplines, such as infectious disease, is that following an acute insult, there is a recognition that there is damage that has been done, and uh, this is recognized by the immune cells. So there is the initial damage that's done, and then there is the um, secondary inflammatory response that uh, has evolved um, over the next uh, 24, 48 hours. And this has been the focus of my laboratory as well as others in terms of understanding the, the mechanisms that are involved in the initial insult and the later progressive cytokine response and the response by immune cells. And the importance of understanding these different pathways is that there are, um, there are, there are compounds that can be developed that can probably block these various steps and prevent the inflammatory response. So what you're saying is that there's more than one place to target AKI with a special reference to CKD. There's both the prevention and, and early therapy, but there's also concern and a real challenge to minimize the ongoing inflammatory type response that occurs days after the acute event. Is, is that fair? Yes, that's fair to say, and I think this also has a lot of implications with regards to our therapeutic approach because oftentimes we... Um, because of these overlapping pathways, our strategies perhaps should be focused on compounds that can block multiple targets. Rick, your company's in the midst of moving a compound forward in clinical trials. If you had a magic wand, what would you ask for to help you in this arena where you're trying to take the first ever therapy for AKI forward? And, and by that, I mean diagnostic considerations, other therapeutic considerations. What do you see that people in the field need to be doing to move it forward to allow therapeutics to catch up? Yeah, Bruce, I think uh, it ties back to a lot of what, uh, what Mark was just saying. There are three important things. We didn't touch on diagnostics. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to that about that in this, just a second. But one of the key things that we're challenged with is understanding the mechanism for early AKI versus what happens in three, four, five, six days. And we're beginning to think that there's a different process going on in that as you progress after the initial insult. And we know that's tied very closely to the inflammatory process. At least that's what we see in the animal model work we do and the, the studies we've done collecting data from patients. Our target, our compound actually targets both the anti-apoptotic event, so we think we can prevent it. And then we want to, with this pathway that we're targeting, is to suppress the inflammatory event. So we think we can get the double hit. The most important thing then is to understand how does that translate to the effect of CKD. What is the mechanism by which we have progression or an increase in CKD? Is it an inflammatory process? Is it a stimulation of the TGF-beta fibrogenesis process? And then how do you target that? Is that a similar targeting? Is that a different compound? How do you get at that? I think we have some exciting things happening with even some of our cell therapies, which which I think really bring in that last aspect, helping the kidney recover. The other thing, let's go back to what we've all talked about a hundred times. How do we know it's going to happen? And that's the diagnostic side. I think there's been some excellent work in the last six, seven years, and we're now on the step of really beginning to understand that, and I'm really looking forward to that. 
And we're not there yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Okay, good. Having worked in the area of acute kidney injury for a number of years, I certainly have seen a groundswell for the understanding of the importance of the hospitalized patients and subsequently. Rick, one of the things you do as CEO is you raise money for your company. Do you think there's a general perception in the community at large, whether that's the broad public community or whether it's the very small investment community, that acute kidney injury is an important and growing phenomenon, or do we still have work to do to educate the public? Educating the public, yes, there is still work to do there. I do think that there's been a sea change in the understanding of the importance of AKI. I think the data we see now on the increasing incidence is more recognition of the importance of AKI and more reporting of AKI. People see it, understand it, understand why it's important. And I think that's really been a tremendous contribution by the nephrology community. They've gotten in. They've helped educate. We see it now in the most sophisticated investment community, investors. They get it. They see what's going on here. We see it at the FDA where they understand that even as you go into AKI, some of the important things in clinical trials is to understand progression. So, again, it's all coming together in a very nice story. And um, I, I have to credit the nephrology community. They've done a great job educating us all. I have come into this relatively late, but um, uh, comparatively speaking. But I think that one of the things that has really changed uh, the face of acute kidney injury is back in the 90s, there were several meetings um, which brought together groups of individuals, and they, they include the academicians, NIH and industry, and through these repeated meetings have evolved a number of different initiatives that have changed the landscape of acute kidney injury because progress has been very slow. And so some of the things that I think have come out of this is that there has been a focus on the epidemiology, the natural progression. The whole field of biomarkers has really uh, developed rapidly over the last decade, and now there are new biomarkers that are um, poised to to make that early diagnosis, to institute early treatment, even to predict and to um, to prognosticate acute kidney injury. And then there is a big emphasis um, on clinical trial design and understanding the definition of acute kidney injury. And then, of course, there's all the new drugs that are out there that are being tested in clinical trials. But I think that really it was a partnership between NIH industry and academicians that have led to this um, expansive uh, knowledge of acute kidney injury over the past decade or more. And let me throw out a topic to both of you, and that is many, and certainly the large clinical trials in AKI, have come out of the ICU. And I'm just wondering if we're ignoring the incidence of AKI in the routine ward patient because of the interest in intensive care physicians now and the ready, readily available AKI patients in the ICU, and have we forgotten the amount of, of AKI that occurs on the ward? And while maybe not being as dramatic, still uh, participates in this downward progression of, of GFR and subsequent end-stage renal disease. I think this is um, an area that we focused on. I think we've tried to design clinical trials and. And Rick, maybe you could um, correct me, but the clinical trials that we've designed are um, aimed at trying to 
facilitate these studies in a reasonable number of patients. And so you want to target those patients that are at moderate to high risk of acute kidney injury where the situation is a little bit more controlled. So, for instance, perhaps those that have undergone cardiac surgery, maybe those in the ICU because of their high risk for acute kidney injury. I think having a higher risk population allows you to to perform studies more reasonably uh, with fewer numbers of patients as opposed to the the general patient on the ward where the incidence of acute kidney injury may be a lot less. Now the question is is whether those studies that that are proven effective in um, the ICU setting are generalizable or not is a separate question. Yeah, I think Mark makes a really good point here is, is how generalizable the information we gather in the ICU settings will be. I did a number of studies early on, ICU-focused. They were very much focused on dialysis and dialysis-dependent AKI, and so, of course, you're, you're constrained to that environment. As you then move down the chain, we're now starting to see a mix of patients who are not so much diagnosed with dialysis-dependent AKI, but are now, what are the patients coming in? What are the, what are those events that are causing AKI? And in our own trial, we expect to be tracking patients post-cardiac surgery, and we will track them regardless of whether they go to the ICU or, or, or not. And we'll be looking at subsequent events in both populations. Predominantly, we expect to be dealing with ICU patients, but I do think there's a transition, and I do think we're all going to come to understand how critically important even those small changes are in um, kidney function in terms of its progression. Has your institution, your nephrology division, instituted an acute kidney injury follow-up clinic or do you have any process in place that those patients that experience AKI in the hospital are identified and referred to a nephrology clinic, at least for short-term follow-up, to help manage? Yes. Let me just, um, if I could, um, answer this in two parts in terms of our approach to acute kidney injury. One is before acute kidney injury and one is after in terms of the follow-up care. And the reason why I want to bring up the first point is because once acute kidney injury has been established, currently we have very few things that we can do in terms of mitigating that process. Hopefully we'll have more. But the major emphasis that we have right now at this institution is the prevention of acute kidney injury. So over the past, I'd say, three-quarters of a year, we have instituted an acute kidney injury risk reduction program in which our cardiac surgeons, our thoracic surgeons, and now this is being generalized to general surgery and cardiologists who are doing interventional procedures. When the GFR is less than 45, we are automatically consulted. We institute a protocol for risk reduction. We manage their medications, their antihypertensives, such as ACE inhibitors. We make sure that they're not on non-steroidals. We make sure their volume um, expanded. And the idea is to prevent acute kidney injury. And our preliminary data is very favorable, and uh, I think that this is one approach uh, that we have. The second approach is um, is one that you have, you're alluding to, and that is the transition of care. Once the patient has acute kidney injury and they recover and uh, they are discharged from the hospital, what do we do in terms of follow-up? Well, 
those that have acute kidney injury in which we are consulted on, we arrange for a follow-up in our nephrology clinic if they are in the, in the local vicinity. If they're not, we arrange for a follow-up in their own community. We try to arrange it with the nephrologist there. This is something that should be done in conjunction with the um, primary care physician because of the uh, importance of potential long-term consequences such as progressive kidney disease, uh, cardiac events, and hypertension. So, yes, we do have a program. We try to set up with the nephrologist and to ensure they have follow-up with their primary care physician as well. That's a really interesting, proactive approach to the hospitalized patient. Was it difficult to get buy-in by the other services? And are you doing this in a prospective manner so that you can publish something like this to try and lead toward more standardization of the care of the patient at risk of, of AKI? Bruce, that's a, that's a good point. We are looking at this prospectively. Um, we didn't have any trouble with buying. In fact, this is so big that I think that it's uh, consuming much of the time of one of our faculty uh, members. The reason why we got involved in this uh, was because um, our outcomes in terms of incidence of acute injury was higher than the average uh, in the society for the cardiac surgeons. And so this was implemented to improve that outcomes. And I think that our preliminary data is very good, and it has caught on to the point where not only is um, nephrology involved in acute kid injury risk reduction, but now the endocrinologists are involved in terms of tight glucose or at least optimal glucose control and management of these patients prior to surgery. The focus over the last several years um, has now been on quality of care and so the, the medical center is very interested in trying to promote better outcomes. And if we can prevent acute kidney injury, that is a good outcome. Mark, what do you think is the roadblock or resistance to bringing these tools into nephrology or developing new tools within nephrology? Well, I think that the barrier right now is some of the tools that we use are very expensive. They're very large uh, machines, uh, such as MRI machines, things where you have to transport the patient to obtain these images. And this is not amenable to treatment of acute kidney injury in the intensive care unit or um, in a post-op. So it's probably important to develop portable tools um, that have high resolution that will give you dynamic images and dynamic kidney function. So, for instance, um, the work that you're doing with the GFR measurements uh, will give you immediate understanding of glomerular filtration rate, contrast-enhanced ultrasound at the bedside is non-invasive and inexpensive and we'll be able to understand renal blood flow at the bedside. So those are the barriers, I think, uh, in terms of the large machines. Portable portable devices um, and non-expensive devices are probably where, where we need to go. So if one takes the ultrasound at the bedside with the microvascular bubbles to, to evaluate blood flow, now that's routinely done. I know in several ICUs in France, and it's part of the training of their critical care fellows, and yet I see very little movement in nephrology and in the U.S. to push forward some of these diagnostic procedures that may be very important in not only diagnostics, but also understanding the success of therapeutics. Have you identified the barrier that's kind of holding people back? No, I don't uh, quite understand the barrier yet. I think that it, it seems to be a relatively easy technique 
and certainly provides complementary information in addition to biochemical biomarkers, but I don't understand the barrier yet. There should be none. There should be none, and you talked about expensive procedures and you know expensive equipment, and, and I would agree with you, but you know, dialysis is also an expensive phenomenon, and, and I'm thinking chronic end-stage renal disease dialysis, and if we can see our role as developing tools and techniques and therapeutics to minimize the progression to that incredibly expensive form of therapy. So the upstream cost, while great, may be substantially less than the downstream requirement and commitment that's necessary to take care of the end-stage you know, dialysis patient. I agree completely. I want to thank Rick, you, and Mark for the, the time. I, I want to thank you for your passion and compassion for the field of AKI, and it's through the types of research and clinical studies and promotion of AKI, and it's important in chronic kidney disease and, and the, the progression to end-stage renal disease that I think will make progress. And I really appreciate your time and insights into this important area, especially as it's now the World Kidney Day Center for this year. So thank you. Thank you, Bruce. This podcast is copyrighted by the American Society of Nephrology. All rights reserved. All content in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be medical advice. The information in this podcast should not be used during a medical emergency or for the diagnosis or treatment of any medical condition. Please consult your doctor or other qualified health care provider if you have any questions about any medical condition or before taking any drug, changing your diet, or commencing or discontinuing any course of treatment. Thank you for listening to this podcast of the American Society of Nephrology. 